My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Uh, you saw a little advertisement. There's more of these out in the foyer for At The Movies. At The Movies is in about two weeks. And what we do with At The Movies is it's just kind of a different kind of series. What we do is we take biblical truths and we see some places in movies, scenes where those things are kind of fleshed out. And so it's a creative, dynamic way of kind of explaining some of God's truths. We're going to do a series called At The Movies all through September. What I want you to be thinking about is who are you going to invite? Now, you might go, uh, who do I invite to church? Well, let me tell you about me a little bit, for those of you that don't know me. I, I was the last person you would ever think to invite to church. Negative, cynical, mocking, blah, the whole nine yards. The flip side is this. I was extraordinarily depressed. I was overwhelmed by life. And if I hadn't had Jesus come into my life, I probably would have killed myself. More than that. If I hadn't killed myself, I'd probably be addicted to drugs today. And, and different even than that, even if we, I'd avoided those two, Amy and I probably would not still be together. Why? Because there was a lot going on that nobody saw. Because, I mean, the point of the Instagram post and the Facebook thing and everything else is you sweep all the garbage into the closet and then you take a picture and it looks all great, but there's a lot more going on. I've been a pastor a long time. Trust me, there's a lot going on in some of the lives of people that you know. And so, invite them. Statistics say this, 85% of people that get a personal invitation to church actually take people up on it. Invite them. It might save a life. It might save a marriage. It might transform a whole family. Be thinking about and praying about who to invite. Now, with all of that in mind, you may be here as a visitor today. And I've kind of played this, this heavy card. And you're like, oh, man, it's a spiritual pyramid scheme I've been invited to. <laughs> sort of. Um, no. Um, what it is is that we um, really we believe in Jesus around here, and Jesus has changed a lot of people's lives around here. Um, we've got baptism that's coming up in the middle of September. You can sign up in the office kind of about that. If you're a visitor, you want to know more about the church after the service, you can head through those double doors, turn to the right, that big pallet wall. There's some people in guest services that can answer questions for you, put some paper things in your hands so you can check things out. Um, investigate and explore. We're in a series called R4. We talked about rest, and we talked about recharging, and this week we're going to talk about resetting your life. So I'm going to pray here in a second, and I want you to think about what in your life needs to be reset. Not the whole thing. What's the dumpster fire? Like what I was going to do is I was going to do a dismissal, an early dismissal today, and say all the perfect people can leave now. Great. So the dumpster fire people are left. But what's the one thing that maybe God wants to transform in your life? If you'll pray with me, even if you don't believe, just pray with me and kind of open yourself up to the experience. Father God, we come before you today in the name of Jesus, because that's who we follow. And Father, you know the story of everyone in this room. You know where they've been and what they've done. You know what's going on. 
And you have so much hope for each one of us. And you have so much vision for each one of us. We pray, Father, that you would be able to access kind of our minds and our hearts. That we'd be able to sense your presence. And that you would lead and guide and teach us this morning and draw us close to yourself. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. So what I want you to do is to imagine something before we kind of start today. I want you to imagine your life as a house. Now let me explain that a little bit. The idea would be that when you decide to become a Jesus follower, you sort of invite him into your life. You invite him into the house. Now things get interesting real quick when you do something like that. So I may invite God into my life and say, it's great to have you. Come into my living room. This place looks pretty clean and neat and organized. That's great. Have a seat. I'm going to go get you some iced tea. And so you go to get some iced tea and you come back and there's God. And what's God doing? Well, God is he's changing things. He's moving the furniture around in the room and he's, he's labeling things and he's doing all kinds. Of, and you're like, um, ex- excuse me, God, I, I love the idea of you being in my life, but what are, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm re- this room has so much potential. It, we just need to do this, this, and this. And you start to realize that what God has got going on is he's looking at this room and he's got a vision for what it could be and it's better than any vision you've ever had. And he might see some things that are wrong with it that need to get fixed. In fact, you may, after you give him kind of his iced tea, you may go, okay, he's doing a little redecorating. I want to gather my thoughts. Let me go get you uh, some Cheetos. And so you go back into the kitchen to get some Cheetos while you think about this God who's messing with your life. And you come back, and he's kind of like kicking down this one door off of your living room. And you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. What are you doing? And he's like, what's in that, what's in that, in that room over there? And they're, and they're like, you don't want to know. He's like, no, no, no. What's, what's on the other side of this door? And he's like, That's where all my distractions and their addictions are. You don't want to go in that room. And then he looks at you and smiles really broad and goes, you know what? Have you ever seen that that, that TV show Hoarders? I really need access to that room. Why? Because he loves you. And he knows that room's going to collapse. Bad things are happening in that room. That room needs a little touch, a little sprinkle of Jesus. Now the question becomes, as you're sitting out there this morning, you're starting to go, okay, what does it look like if I, if I am a Jesus follower? What does it look like to ask the question, what room does he want to work on in my life? If I'm not a Jesus follower at all, it, it may be the open question of, am I going to let Jesus in? Okay? But the thing I want you to think about if you are a Jesus follower is, what room have you just never let him have access to? And let me tell you what that room looks like. That room is a room that you don't pray about. And there's no principles of God in that room. That room is not built on prayer or principles or kind of pulling off what God wants to do. It may be marriage. God's really not in there. It may be your sexuality. God's really not in there. It may be your budget. God's not really in there. But I want you to be thinking about as we truck along in the sermon, what room does God want to get into? It says this in Ecclesiastes 3.3. It says that there's a time to tear down and a time to build up. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's in this whole sequence in Ecclesiastes. It says there's this, there's this timing. There's a time when you need to do this thing or that thing. And in the case of this small verse, it's saying there's a time to tear things down and there's a time to build things up. So the house that we've got, it's a cool house, I love it, 
It's got all these kind of garden features that kind of went wild a little bit. We've been, over the last two years, kind of bringing it back. But it's got a pergola. And one, two, three of the big, you know, foundational things, they look great. And then one of them goes like this. And it's all rotting out at the bottom. And I'm a little nervous that that is going to fall over. And when it falls over, it could hurt people, and it could wreck a bunch of stuff. And we've got some, you know, lawn furniture there. So it's, it's not just that the pergola is going to fall. It's that it's going to have this secondary damage that it does to all sorts of other things. And then the question becomes, what in your life maybe is damaged, broken, that God wants to fix. And the longer we put it off, the more likely it will collapse. We kind of know it will collapse. Sooner or later, we're going to hit bottom in that area. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder and harder the longer we put it off. The second question is, what what does God maybe want to build? Now, I got married, and, and she's on the front row, and she's still here. So bang your hands together. And I'm just super domesticated. Um, so she's stuck around. But when I got married, here's what I thought marriage was. I thought I'm going to have a great marriage if I just don't make the mistakes of my parents. But I had no idea what God's blueprints were for marriage. I had no idea how to actually build a marriage. I didn't know what husbands should do or wives should do, what marriage was for. I didn't necessarily pray about it. I didn't necessarily have God's plans for it or God's principles for it. But that's what God wanted to build. He wanted to build marriage the way he designed it, the way his word talks about it, so that it can enter into its full potential, its full beauty, its full strength. What areas in your life feel like they're being driven by God's plans and purposes and strength? What areas in your life are completely off limits to God? You've never let in, and maybe they're creaking and cracking. In fact, it says this in Proverbs 14.1. It says this. There's a wise woman who builds her house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. In Proverbs 24.3, it says this, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And so you get these two people. We don't have to necessarily say woman. It's not gender specific. There's these two people. And what's happening is there's this one woman who builds her house. And then we look around in the rest of Proverbs, and how do you do that? It says, by wisdom and by understanding. Other places it'll say knowledge. And so think of it this way. You're building a house, and so you want to have knowledge. You want to know all of the components that you need to have, all the two-by-fours, all of this, that, and the other thing. And then more than that, you want to have understanding, how all those things go together, and then wisdom, how to actually pull off building all of it together. For example, I'm one of those people that like skips ahead in the instructions every now and then. I would be the sort of person that like built their whole roof in their backyard and then looked up at the house that I was building going, huh, how am I going to winch it up there? I probably should have like done this part first. But here's this woman and she's building this house and it's knowledge and it's understanding and it's wisdom and then there's another woman. Well, what's this other woman? Well, this other woman, some of you may identify with. Don't show your hands or anything. But she's the foolish woman. Well, what's this foolish person look like? Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, 
fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. I just like to roll with it. I just like to, you know, easy come, easy go. And, you know, I, I don't really make, I'm a spontaneous person. And there's a time for that. Building your parenting off of that is a terrible idea. Building your budget off of that is a terrible idea. Building your marriage off of that is a terrible idea. There's some things that need plan, purpose, intentional. Pull it off. Which one are you? Now, you might go, what do you mean? Well, I I mean, I, I kind of said it once. I'll say it probably several times before we're done. What parts of your life are you listening to God and putting those principles into play and praying? And if you look over and you go, I'm not really praying about my marriage, and I can't see where any of God's principles are in my marriage, and I'm not really putting that all together much, I would say your marriage is at risk of not being anywhere near its potential of strength. In fact, I would say that your neglect may mean that you are tearing down your marriage by your own hands. And there may be a point in time where you go, I'm a victim, and you're not, unless you want to own up to your self-sabotage of victimizing yourself. This is what you're looking for today. What's the one thing that God wants to transform. Jesus talks to his disciples, and there's this sequence that's going on where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's gotten really popular. He's like a rock star. He's a YouTube influencer. And he says this in Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, he says this to a bunch of people that are digging what he has to say. They're like, oh, Jesus, you're cool. You say all these really kind of neat ideas and these parable things. They're really repeatable. They're tweetable. And you're kind of always saying a little snot thing to some of those religious, nutjob, fundamentalist Pharisees. And you're kind of doing the same to Rome. And I dig it. I like it. You're inspiring me. What does that even mean? You're inspiring me. That, that's what he's heading off at the pass here. He's putting a fork in the road. There's going to be lots of people that are like, I dig what you have to say. And that's it. Nothing's going to change in them. Nothing's going to be transformed in the, in the world. They just, they like it. And he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now, what does that hears word mean? Well, it's in the present tense, which basically means this. It's active and ongoing. This is a person that not just like hears Jesus once, is like, that's cool, I need to write that down, and then ignores it. This is a person that is constantly hearing God about their budget, their parenting, their attitude at work, and 10,000 other things. They're hearing. And then it says more than that, they're taking this hearing and they're acting on it. This is turning into reality. I hate to admit this, but I will admit this. Um, I, I do Pinterest. It's a very masculine sort of Pinterest, full of grilling recipes and other such manly things. But there are also like a zillion pictures of gardening and landscaping. 
It's cool, man. I mean, there's tons of really neat, cool ideas. And sometimes I'll spend hours on, on Pinterest looking at all these neat, cool ideas that, of course, I could actually be doing outside and actually building, but I'm really busy on Pinterest stockpiling ideas. Which, all kidding aside, isn't that church? Cool idea, Pastor. Yeah, I ought to. And yes, Scripture says, and um, what time's lunch start? And the difference is that Jesus is basically saying, he knows, not just that those people back then, but that us today, we have this tendency. So he says, you got to hear me, you got to listen, ongoing engagement, act upon it, and this may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Why does that matter? Well, here's why. If I want to have a strong marriage, strong parenting, strong sexuality the way God wants me to have it, if I want to have any of those things solid, maybe I need the strength and the solidity of that to be something more than myself. Let me give you an example. I could stand up here and say, somebody want to come up here and see if they can push me over? And a whole bunch of you could push me over. But if I, if I stand and I, I put my hand on the pulpit, it's going to be a little bit harder to push me over. Now, if I stand over and I'm, 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 I'm kind of connected to the wall, it's even harder to push me over. And so Jesus is saying, you listen to what I say and you put these actions into play. And guess what? It's not about your strength anymore. You're going to be deeply connected to the rock. Do you want your marriage rock solid? Do you want your parenting rock solid? Do you want your attitude at work? Do you want your budget? You want also, do you want that stuff to have strength? Not the limitations of your strength, not you working out and being really smart. His strength. What's it like to have him as an advocate for my marriage? My budget, my all sorts of things. What's it like to have his strength built into the very foundation? He goes on in Luke 14, 28, and he says this, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So what's Jesus saying here to his followers? He's saying, look, let's go back to the house analogy. Maybe there's an addition that wants, we, we want to build, we want to... Okay? We're going to have a kid, and all of a sudden, you know, hey, I, you know, I need to build this room for this kid. So if you're going to do that, the question is, are you going to sit down and kind of figure out what this is going to cost besides all of your sleep? Yeah, you want to start to calculate what that cost is going to be. If we're going to go into this transformation, this building project. Now, what does this look like in practical terms? What it looks like in practical terms is this. There's all sorts of things that we go, hey, yeah, I ought to lose weight. Hey, yeah, I ought to get a budget. Hey, yeah, I ought to do this. Hey, yeah, I ought to do... And, and, and there's 800 different things. And we never actually sit down and calculate it out and come up with a concrete plan that can turn into reality. We're people of good intentions and then distractions by something else on the internet or Pinterest or anything else. We're not always people of self-discipline, but part of what Jesus is saying to his followers is, here's the deal. I've got plans for your life. I have these fantastic plans for your life. There's things in your life I want to rebuild that, are, that you know are broken and full of pain, and I want to rebuild them. And there's other parts in your life that I want to take you to the next level of potential. I want to, I want to make this thing really great but I need you to sit down and calculate it. 
What does that mean? It means if you want to have a great marriage, then you're starting to think about what are all the verses about marriage? What are all the Christian books about marriage? What does this look like? How are we going to enter into this every day? What part of our marriage are we going to transform? That's what it means. And you know what? If you're really going to have this great marriage and you have to calculate the cost, you may have to eliminate bowling night. You may have to eliminate going to the bar. You may have to eliminate all sorts of things. If you, you can't add forever, right? I mean, all of us that are adults in this room, you can't just keep doing more stuff. I, I wish. I tried that. It's called burnout. So if you're going to make this one room great, you're going to have to spend time on it. You're going to have to invest in it and know what you're getting into. Sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. And then he goes on, and what he says next is sort of fascinating because it sounds like public shaming. But I want you to think about it maybe a little bit differently than that. He says, he says, continuing the verse, otherwise, when he's laid this foundation, but he's not able to complete it, all who observe him are going to they're going to mock him. They're going to troll him. They're going to ridicule him. Saying, the man began and he wasn't able to finish. In a sense, what's going on is your life is not just your life. It's not just your tower. It's a display, not just of your own character, but about the reality of who God is. Let me break that down for you. If you say, hey, I think God wants to transform this part of my life, and you start to pray about that, and you take God's principles, and you start to actually build it, and then you just bail, people are going to go, you can't influence me much because you're just a talker. And you know what? Candidly, I can't take you seriously, and whatever you say about God, I can't take seriously because there's nothing there. But imagine the other side. Imagine you do pray and sit down and calculate and connect to the rock and the whole nine yards. And all of a sudden, this tower gets built. This very different marriage. This very different way of parenting. This very different way of budget. This very different attitude at work. This very different all sorts of things. Then what happens is the crowd of people are like, huh, that's just Dave. And but Dave's now different in that area. Like something has happened. And Dave's talking about church. And Dave's talking about God. And I, I think two things. One is I think that Dave's like getting stuff finished. Like he's really transforming. So I'm starting to take seriously Dave. But more than that, I'm starting to take seriously what might be behind Dave. Because Dave's just like me. Dave's an idiot. Dave's a dumpster fire. But, but apparently God got an extinguisher and went into the dumpster fire and started to do something amazing. The Bible says that we are to be to the world salt and light, this compelling, seasoning, dynamic thing. And Jesus is looking at his disciples going, here's the deal. There's going to be this worldwide revolution and marriages are going to be saved and suicide's going to be stopped and all kinds of fantastic things are going to happen. And I'm going to be the catalyst of those things through you through transforming you room by room. And people are going to start to look at you. And they're not going to be expecting perfection, but they'll see a change in you. And you will have earned the right to be heard. Or we earn the right to be mocked. 
And it's within our grasp which one happens. But if you're going to start to change, if you're going to start to invite God into these rooms of your life, I need to tell you there will be pushback. And the book of Nehemiah, it says this in 418, is the builders each wore his sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. And you're like, what? Is a construction site with a jazz trumpet player? What's going on? So let me explain Nehemiah real quick. Nehemiah is a guy who is all about rebuilding, resetting He's actually in what's called captivity. It's like, it's like prison. All of Israel had been wiped out. And he's in this faraway country. He's in Babylon. But he's thinking, and he's going, I think God has said that he's a God that rebuilds. And I think, I think God still has a plan and a purpose for things back there. And I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start fasting. I'm going to start investigating everything that God's word says. And as he's figuring things out, I'm going to find all the materials and everything else that I need to do this rebuilding. Now, you might think, hey, if I'm going to do this thing that God's asking me to do in my life, like everything's going to start to work. No, there's going to be pushback. And in Nehemiah's time, what happens is there's all kinds of people, as Israel is starting to rebuild, there's all kinds of people around them that are gossiping them and trolling about them and mocking them and threatening them and writing letters to the editor about them and everything else you can imagine. And so Nehemiah says to these people, have a sword, be ready, be prepared to defend yourself. Now, how does this apply to you? Well, Nehemiah is just one of these general reference points in the Old Testament about how God rebuilds things. And guess what? If you buck the system, let me explain it. The system is basically this. The world wants to keep you distracted with all kinds of little shiny objects, whether it's politics or whether it's sensuality or sexuality or clothes or, you know, just whatever nonsense is out there. That's what the world wants to do, okay? And Candidly, Satan also wants to destroy people. That's what he does. He lies, kills, deceives. He, he just wants to blow things up because he's bored. That, he hates God. That's what he does. If you start to actually ask God into a transformational experience, the world and Satan are going to push back. And you've got to be ready for it. Because trust me, if you say, hey, let's get our marriage godly, Hey, I'm going to be the parent that God wants me to be. Hey, I'm going to be the son or daughter that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be the person with the right attitude at work. I'm going to get my finances where God wants my... You do any of those things, it's going to push back. You know it, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. I can tell you that you know it because of this. There are times when you said it, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you said, you know what? I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and the other thing. And you know what? The, everything goes wrong. Everything just goes wrong. It's like, is there some weird conspiracy? I'm just trying to reach my potential and live my best life now, and everything has just gone crazy. Of course it has. You should expect that it will. We self-sabotage ourselves, the foolish woman who tears it down, but also the world will come after us. Satan will come after us. And so you've got to be ready. Now, here's the the good news. The good news is, again, does God want to do this really cool thing in, with, and through you? He absolutely does. It says this in Joel 2.25. 
This is part of what God's promise is. In Joel 2.25, he says, Then, this is God speaking through a prophet named Joel, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the creeping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the gnawing locusts. Well, what's going on? Well, what is happening with the people of Israel is the people of Israel are, is God's case study in the Old Testament. He wants to be friends with them, love them, protect them, guide them, teach them. But they have an interesting history with God. And the history repeats itself over and over again. So one of the things that happens over and over again is when things go really good, they blow off God. It's kind of like this. You, you're at a frat party in college and you drink too much alcohol, and you get your head over a toilet, and you throw up, and you say, God, I'll be a missionary to Uganda. I will do anything. I need you in my life, okay? You, you do that. But then the flip side is, if things start to go good, oh, you know what? I, you know, I got this new job, and I got this new house, and people are saying how smart I am, and how good I am, and how this, you know what, God, why it's cool. We're tight. You know, I, I, but I've got this. You go help some of those homeless people or the hobos or uh, desperate housewives or the kids on Riverdale. You go help that because I'm good. I'm on top of things. And this is what happens to Israel all the time. They start to blow off God. Now, what's going on also in the Old Testament is the way this all started is God basically said, I want to adopt all of you. We're going to have a great time. I'm going to do these awesome stuff in your life. But if, if you blow me off all the time and start to sabotage what I'm trying to do, there's going to be some consequences. It's for your good. It's to wake you up, but I need you to, to sign on for that. And they do. They sign on. They say, absolutely, that's more than fair. You're going to do this great stuff. We're going to have a land of milk and honey and Nutella and steaks. And we want all of that. That's great. And if we get nuts sometimes and start to blow you off, give us a wake-up call. That's what's going on in the book of Joel. The locusts are the wake-up call. It's God saying, you've... you've you kicked me out of all the rooms. And in kicking me out of all the rooms, they're starting to rot and disintegrate. They're starting to not be all that they could have been. Now, here's a couple of great pieces of, of good news. God's not surprised by this. He disciplines those he loves. What, what, what do I mean by this? God's not waiting for you to hit perfection because he doesn't have that kind of free time. He's not waiting for me to hit perfection, okay? We're going to screw up, and we're going to reconnect, and we're going to get more mature, and we're going to screw up and reconnect and get more mature, and it's going to be three steps forward and sometimes two steps back, and we're going to plow along, and we're going to always probably say, I'm a dumpster fire. But the other thing that we'll say is, but God's also had this construction site going on in my life, and I'm massively different than I used to be. So where did the locust come from in Joel? The locust came from God as a wake-up call. It's an act of love. But I want you to notice what he says. He says, I will make up to you for the years of the locust. What's he talking about there? He's saying, look, if you just re-engage, if you just open those doors back up, if you just connect to me again, if you just trust me again, if you just... Quit being so arrogant and so stubborn. 
all of this can come back. You have to remember the God of the hours. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you repent and return, he wants to redeem and revive and restore and reclaim and rebuild and reset. These are terms that he uses over and over and over again. We have a tendency every now and then to finally get to the place where we hit bottom and we go, God, I suck. And would you please help me? That's not bad, okay? And he goes, did you, did you call my name and say, yes, I, I absolutely, welcome home, kid, I love you. Hugs and kisses. I'm going to get out the hammer and the nails. We're going to rebuild this thing. We're going to paint. It's going to be awesome. There's a vision. And then we go, I don't think you heard me. I'm a, really, I'm a really terrible, bad person. And religion's supposed to beat me up and make me feel terrible all the time. And are you nuts? I want to redeem. I want to restore. I want to reboot. I want to rebuild. Stop it. Engage in me again and feel the compassion, the hope, the joy, the vision, all of it reboot. And then be a finisher. It says this in Luke 6:48. Talking again about this person building their life in God. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrents burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. What's he talking about? He's talking about, again, there's this guy. And he's got to connect his life to this rock that is stronger than him. And he's got to dig deep to do it. You might have to dig deep in your budget, and in your heart, and in your mind, and in your marriage and parenting. You might have to dig deep in all sorts of ways to really figure out what God wants to do. But here's the good news. The good news is, if you do that, and you start to rebuild this house in his way of doing things, the good news is, when the flood comes, because the flood's going to come, you're going to stand firm. Notice it doesn't say the flood's not going to come. If you get all your act together, it'll, no bad thing will ever happen to you again. That's what the TV guys get paid big bucks to say. That's not what I'm going to ever say to you. The flood will come. The question is going to be what's going to happen when the flood comes. And there's two kinds of people. There's one kind of person that the pressure of the flood exposes their addiction, their marriage that's barely held together with bailing wire. It, it exposes the fact that this is not connected to the rock. And, and that exposure means that that house is demolished. Because notice it's not just the foundations that are going to get taken up. Like the whole thing's going to go out with it. This is the full collapse thing that happens to people. The flip side is there's another kind of person. The flood comes and it's hard and there's pressure. And I'm singing in the rain just singing in the rain. Are you in denial? I'm not in denial. I'm connected to the rock. It's just stuff. I've not invested my heart and my mind in the stuff. It's just a job. It's just a car. It's just a whatever. Those things don't own my heart and my mind. I'm standing firm. Why? Because I'm connected to something far bigger and more important and dynamic. The rest of this stuff doesn't matter. The question ultimately becomes, which person do you want to be? Do you want to be this person that God comes in and builds beautiful rooms and resets things and builds you into strength 
and confidence and joy and hope and meaning and passion? Or do you want to get wiped out by life because of neglect and, and, and candidly playing a little church game of listen and do nothing? Which one do you want to be? Let me tell you what it looks like when you leave here today. What needs to be reset? Pick one thing. Don't, don't, don't try to pick 20 things. That's your recipe for failure. What's the one thing that God wants to reset in your life? Two, make Jesus the cornerstone. Okay, so you say, Jesus, you come in and you are the center of this marriage, of this parenting, of this sexuality, of this whatever. Jesus, you are the center. Third, hear his blueprints and pray. Take everything you can find in the Bible and from wise, godly counsel and bring all of that stuff together. Four, calculate the cost. If you're going to have a better marriage, if you're going to have a different budget, if you're going to have, you've got to figure out how this is going to look in reality. You're going to have to schedule time. You're going to have to make it happen in a very real, dynamic sort of way. You get a sheet of paper and you just start writing. Number five, armed for conflict. There will be pushback. Be prepped for it. Don't be surprised. Don't give up easy. It's going to happen. Six, do it. Get her done. Finish. Be somebody that completes things. There's, there's a million starters out in the world. Be somebody that finishes. Trust the God of ours who redeems, who restores, who resets, revitalizes. That's who he is. He's not surprised by our failures. He can't wait to roll up his sleeves and get into that mess. He wants to kick down the door to all of that stuff and get in there and do awesome stuff. But you've got to believe that. If you keep thinking that, you know, I need to get my act together and then I'll invite God into my... Well, there's no point to that. Now, here's the deal. You're going to leave here today. And I don't know, I, I, I hope I don't suck as a preacher. You're going to leave here today and there's going to be some of you that are going to, are going to sit down this afternoon with a sheet of paper and you're going, to, you're going to say, God, what's the one? And you're, going to, you're just going to start. And, and cool stuff is going to happen down the road. And then there are other people that are going to leave here today and go, that was good. We ought to do that. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you, and we know, God, that you have these incredible intentions for our life. And God, we have a tendency to to pin your ideas and to not turn them into the reality that you had planned. We ask, Father, we need your help. Would you come into our life? Would you kick down the doors to some rooms? Would you Show us how to pray and how to be purposeful and intentional and and to fight for the things that you want to do. God, give us the one thing and show us how to connect to you and turn it into reality. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. amen.